Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nice and supported by Lacole. We thought, hey, two consecutive days or maybe even five, six days before between world tour races that's far too big a gap to not have content so we're going to take this opportunity we've just hit 10k subscribers on the youtube channel on the podcast channel it's more difficult for us to see the analytics it's not as sophisticated we use anchor it seems like the audience is about 20k of people who listen maybe to one podcast a week unique listeners um on podcast players as well so it's about a 30k audience on the podcast and we haven't hit a grand tour yet so i mean if that was one of your questions there's an answer but let's call it a 10k youtube 30k total audience q a <laughs> this is benji's idea because he trusts you people i'm reluctant to give out information but benji thinks we should be giving so here we are uh why don't you kick us off Benji with one of the first questions. I think we put this out on our community tab, Twitter, etc. So if you're wondering where in the future for things like this, Twitter, Lantern Recycling Podcast, or at me or Benji, at Benji Nyson, or on the YouTube channel as well. Sorry, Benji, first question to get us going. Yes, before I do give the question, I would like to say that we got a lot of questions. We tried to uh, take out the most <laughs> asked ones because it would be impossible to make a, a 24-hour podcast to answer every single one but it's not yeah impossible. we're gonna try and uh, yeah it's not impossible but not at the moment <laughs> so uh, the first question that we're gonna go towards is one from paul james i think it was asked on youtube itself how did you get into cycling and i'll throw it over to you first the same way it's the australian version of how a lot of british fans in the last 10 years got into cycling and how a lot of people got into cycling historically and it goes to show how important this race is i watched the tour de france because it was publicly available on sbs and cadell was doing well and then he won and when cadell won that's when i was hooked and then it was like a gradual build of oh i watched the tour but then the next year i watched the giro and the tour and maybe roubaix and then the year after or three grand tours and tour of flanders and roubaix and then gradually built up and built up i watched on eurosport when fox still carried that in australia and then by about 2017 i was like fully hooked watching as many or catching up on as many world tour races as possible but didn't grow up with cycling my parents weren't cyclists nor into the sport particularly so uh a bit of a latecomer to the sport benji how about you i presume like at school in Belgium, uh, you know, you're told about Philip Schulbert's exploits. <laughs> Actually, it's not as extreme as people <laughs> would expect in the sense that football, that, well, I'll explain to American people, that's the thing you call devilishly soccer. But our football is by far the most popular sport in Belgium at the moment. 
And cycling is heroic, but it's not at the nev- at the level of of football. And as a kid, I was always a football player. And I was a gamer in my free time. I played a lot of games. And through that, I kind of came to the point where my mom came home with a magazine with a game attached to it called Pro Cycling Manager. And I think this was 2005, 2006. So because of that, I started watching races a bit more. I already saw occasionally like a Paris-Roubaix or a Tour of Flanders because those were the big ones. And those are the ones people were talking about because Tombon was doing great in Belgium and Stein de Volder and so forth in the past. And just those events combined with that game made me play that game even more and made me play that game even more. And if you know stuff about riders and if you know stuff about races and that, then you're more likely to follow the sport in real life. And I started following the sport <laughs> definitely from like 2009. And I think that until 2011-ish, I was watching mainly the World Tour race, and after that, it went into more than that. And I think, uh, yeah, Kid Evans was also my uh, my favorite rider in 2011 <laughs> and, really? and beforehand. And I was the only person that I knew that was rooting for Kid Evans in that <laughs> Tour de France. And everybody kept saying, he's not going to win this. But I was like, just watch it. <laughs> and eventually, yeah. yeah, that's how I got into cycling, through gaming, which is probably a pretty rare phenomenon. Yeah, I think PCM definitely, it's like international cricket captain or football manager. It definitely probably makes people more obsessed with the real sport. Uh, Second question from John. How did you decide to become content creators about cycling, Benji? When it comes to that, it's a bit of a a double-sided question. I think beforehand, I didn't really know it was going to be cycling-related. As a, as a kid, I was playing Minecraft in my free time and I was watching a lot of people on YouTube that were making Minecraft content. And my mind was like, I'm going to do this someday. And me with my squeaky voice started a YouTube channel as a kid doing Minecraft content. And that totally didn't really work because <laughs> who cares about a kid screaming <laughs> about Minecraft? I'm glad that channel is not available on the internet, so don't even try. And... Um, <laughs> As a consequence, I think it kind of changed the moment that in 2012, 2013, there was no one really, well, there were a few people on YouTube that were making pro cycling manager videos. And I was interested in doing so as well because I liked the way they were doing it. I thought I could offer something and they were kind of going off the platform at that point. And I decided to go for it. And it seemed to have hit off after a a while and eventually I started my YouTube channel I think in 2015 about about pro cycling manager the cycling game I was talking about earlier and yeah that worked out I uh, I really enjoyed doing so and it was a slow grind because well I didn't upload very regularly in the sense that in the first three years I uploaded once a week to once a month and on YouTube if you do that with a game then it's not likely to pop off in any way but I did it because I liked it and I I wasn't really the kind of guy that was looking straight for the views at that point and not really at this point either. I just enjoy what I'm doing. But behind the scenes, we're obviously just looking at the views every single second. Um, <laughs> I think, <laughs> I think to be in, in all honesty, um, that cycling part grew from there. And yeah, I think going further from that, I think we'll be answering the next question already. So beforehand, I'll throw it over to you. Um, I just saw things in races and I thought 
this is a storyline that's not really being told and started making i think the first videos i made were not really race analyses videos that popped my channel off in it wasn't that long ago benji june 2020 july 2020 i actually made six Giro rosa highlight analysis videos in a row uh they got like 400 views no one saw well some people saw them some of them got a couple of k which is still good uh, for the Giro Rosa back then. But then I think the big ones were incidents, racing incidents and taking a real deep dive into, I think the big one was the Vuelta Espana TTT crash with Jumbo Visma being like, what contributed to this crash? We've got the camber, we've got the speeds are hitting the corner, we've got the water at an angle, we've got it being dry roads beforehand. All those things, and people seem to love it. The channel grew, and then I was like, okay, let's do some throwbacks. And I've still got the throwbacks, trying to get them sorted on the main channel. Um, just it's a different licensing deal as compared to the current race highlights. It's actually almost easier to get a deal for the current race highlights, believe it or not. Uh, but anyway, that's where it started. Saw people liked it. Just started, continue to do what. And I also like doing weird videos like, oh, Bernal just won the Tour de France. Well, where was he two, three years ago at Tour de l'Avenir? Uh, and people love that stuff as well. Uh, and like, I'd love to do a Tane Pagacha 17 year old mountaintop finish against Micah at the Tour of Slovenia 2017 video. <laughs> like, that stuff's awesome as well. So that's, it just started. And then it was a side hustle. As a hobby while I was doing a much more boring and better paying job and then eventually it grew to the point where I could support myself obviously taking a pretty big income hit regardless but support myself doing what I love doing which is making cycling content uh, and just being able to if you if you're not full-time and you're living in Australia you're never gonna be able to watch the races that's <laughs> not possible <laughs> so this is the only way for me to watch the races and then the process is obviously going over to Europe and the plan is you know I have a media company now um, that the main channel and then the pod sits under and then just trying to grow that more and more you know have ideas about getting websites or lots of different things in the cycling uh universe but next question benji that you said we're already leading into yes uh the question itself comes from uh melina Korcheva. uh how did you meet and how did you decide to do the podcast together i think i'll oh that's actually a hard question in total because i think it well, went really, very quickly <laughs> yeah true but you know what i mean like on the internet how do we meet uh, <laughs> Like the initial point, I'm not even sure. I think I, I said something to you about the Nibali video you had on 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 uh, Shiviglio on Instagram. And I, I feel like three days later, we were talking about the podcast already. So, no, I, I reckon I just was, I was watching your videos, Benji. Mm-hmm. I was watching Benji's PCM videos and I was like, holy shit, this guy knows every rider, every like Conti rider. He knows what they've done two years ago at some Tour de Azerbaijan. Um, <laughs> and he's got a more calm demeanor uh, than I do. What a good pairing for a podcast. And yeah. As Benji said, reached out to Benji, said, what do you think of this idea, doing a podcast uh, together? 
Then we got on a call when Benji was driving somewhere and made him get lost and then pretty much did the Britannia Classic two days later, which was last year, and just learnt from there, upgraded some of the equipment. Um, but really nothing too much has changed except we've kept improving incrementally. Like we never even had video before. Now I've got photos. Maybe soon in some races we'll have sort of short highlight snippets too interspersed in the pod. That's more an effort editorial thing than a rice thing at the moment. Is there anything I've missed there in that storyline? It's pretty simple, Benji. Yeah, I think that it went much uh, quicker than people probably expect. I think that <laughs> yeah. before it only took us like, I think, a few days before we actually started talking about the podcast. And like, we had a half an hour conversation on Discord before we started recording the podcast. Like, this was the. <laughs> The most off-the-cuff thing I've, I've probably prepared in my life, and it turned yeah. out to work pretty damn well, and we grew from there, and every single time we see that something can be better, we try and do so. Whenever feedback comes in, we try and improve it. We try to do that as much as possible, and it seems to be working pretty well. We've got lots of ideas of how to improve and how to expand this in the future, but time is currently a very limited resource, and unfortunately, there's not too much of that right now, so uh, yeah. All in all, uh, I think we're just going to gradually improve it and expand it, and it's going to go to the moon, of course. <laughs> yeah, we can't believe how much it's grown, how quickly um, it's grown. And I don't know, because as I said, the analytics are a bit difficult to see and we can't see other podcast analytics. So it's not like YouTube. You know who's the top dog. You know who's getting the most views. I think on an aggregate views watch time per year basis, we might be the biggest cycling podcast. But I'd say still at this moment on a per episode listens basis on podcast players at the tour, probably the cycling podcast will get more listens. But we've got the YouTube, the clips, the podcast players. We do Tour de Romandy. <laughs> so, yeah, I think the big incremental improvements, people have asked what next, what next for you? It's not live broadcast rights. This was a question coming up. Sorry, Benji, I'll just skip straight to it. Live broadcasting is not uh, the next step for us because that space is already done really well when it's like, do you know the cost and scaling we would need to do to compete with Eurosport or GCM Plus? It's, it's not really, there's no point to it because we already think they're doing a good job. Uh, so there's no angle there for us to offer something better, except perhaps you might like our commentary a little bit better. I think the next step, the big barrier is me coming going to Europe so that that makes it possible to do in-person podcasts, which will invariably have better retention on YouTube. And Benji and I won't be dealing with, we deal with a three to five second delay between when we speak, which makes it like that's hard <laughs> to have a fun conversation. Uh, that's why we signpost all the time. Second is probably getting the podcast to a place where Benji can go full-time as well, uh, hopefully next year um, or, or sooner or whenever he wants to. And then when that's possible, then we can do previews on site at races. It opens up a whole lot of opportunities. Uh, is there anything else we can do with it, Benji, that I haven't thought of? Well, I think there's a lot of stuff that we can do, but we haven't really announced anything. And I think it's best to not announce it until it launches. 
a lot of questions were related to, for example, someone who asked us if we will launch merch in the future. I think that that's an idea we have a lot of ideas for, but the time just needs to be there to work it out, to research what is good because we want to do it the right way. We don't want to get shit quality merch to people and yeah, all that kind of stuff needs thinking through and needs time. The idea for the podcast to round off Melina's question is there was no podcast that covered every single world tour and women's world tour cycling race. We thought there's a gap to fill that and there has been. So that's in basketball, there's Nate Duncan's podcast, loads of podcasts that do every game. I thought the same should be done in cycling. I think there's a space for it in cricket too. Next question from Katie, where are you moving? Why did you choose this location i'll throw it back to you benji where would you move if you ever had to leave flanders to cover cycling full-time to cover cycling full-time i don't know i feel like belgium might be a good place to do so (laughs) (laughs) it's not like i I see a a choice outside of flanders that might be more ideal to follow cycling than flanders itself obviously with covid and such it shows a throws a brick through my front wheel every single time if i want to go outside of belgium but Outside of that, I think that I'm in a spot where cycling is all around me, and that's a pretty cool thing. So, yeah, it's a hard question for me because I'm also kind of the kind of person that, yeah, I'd probably love to go to another place and stay there, but uh, I'd also be the kind of guy that misses his family a lot. <laughs> I <Yeah>. don't know. <laughs> I'm planning on moving to Andorra um, as soon as possible, whenever I can get the Australian travel exemption. It's a permanent move. Um, it's not just like for the tour in the world to then come back. I don't really – the plan is to be able to then take advantage of like a lot of the negotiations, sponsor discussions, all that sort of stuff happens in November, December. That's also in Europe as well. That's when I have time for sort of the business stuff after the race season ends. So coming back to Australia except for maybe the TDU sort of month is not really in the – foreseeable future because like the aso deal that's for three years so that's that's why it's a permanent move why andorra good internet 900 mpbs wide apparently so that's number one safe good health care uh cost of living is not exorbitant compared to sydney and where i live in brisbane and yeah good riding i guess good access to nature i live in the coast a lot of the time on the gold coast don't need more beach so mountains it is all right next question (laughs) benji joseph lysett which riders do you have a slight bias towards Nibali. (laughs) (laughs) is that such a hard question now i think when it comes to the riders i have a slight bias towards i tend to lean a lot towards vincenzo Nibali. i've always Loved the way he rode, and it's it's kind of been since Kid Evans was retiring that I leaned even more into Vincenzo Nibali because Evans was my was my uh, king of cycling before I went to Vincenzo Nibali really, and Nibali is a person that replaced that spot on top of the barrel, and I've been I've been a fan of him ever since, and I think that it's not necessarily bias in the sense that I'm going to give unrealistic thoughts about him. I think it's more likely that I'll I'll meme him more as a rider I'd love to win every single stage, something like that. But 
I'm very realistic about his possibilities. I don't believe that he's going to win a Grand Tour in his life ever again. I think it's going to be very hard to podium a Grand Tour from this point onwards. He's going to the Giro, uh, apparently released today. And I, I don't think there's going to be too much from Vincenzo and Ibali there. I'd love for him to go to a Grand Tour and go for stage wins because that would be nice to see him win some stuff. But outside of that, I think the the best parts of his career have have passed, obviously. And I do value those moments a lot. And I don't care if he wins or loses as long as I see him on his bike and I see him enjoy whatever he's doing. And that's kind of stuff when it comes to Vincenzo and Ibali. When it comes to Rambudu, I don't know how it started. I think in 2019, I... So, long story short... With Pro Cycling Manager, we have this Discord chat. And in that Discord chat, there's something called the prediction game. And I never joined until 2019, where the Santa stood and under and the Vuelta Espana, I put in names. In Vuelta Espana, I joked around and I, I put the Prince of Egypt in first because I wanted to troll the competition a bit. And I obviously lost Santa stood and under predictions because that was unrealistic. And eventually we led to uh, the Vuelta and I went ahead and I put Pogacar on the podium. I said he'd win three stages. I said Gilbert was going to win two stages. I said Aramburu was going to get second on two stages. And somehow <laughs> that all happened. I ended up winning that competition. And ever since, Aramburu has been the biggest meme. Uh, and <laughs> every time he does something, I just shout at Aramburu. And even at home, <laughs> and people around me are like, what are you saying? <laughs> and that's just the humor of it. And <laughs> the fact that he's actually growing out to become a rider that can win things <laughs> yeah, is the best part now. of it. Because <laughs> now I can meme it even more. <laughs> yeah, I love it, genuinely. And outside of that, I think low-key, I have this tension to, to move towards riders that are undeservedly getting a lot of criticism during a year. And I have that a lot. And for example, I had that with Evenepoel quite a bit. And the fact is that he's got this sense that a lot of people find him an egotistical, arrogant kid. And I'm going to be very honest. I spoke to the guy. He's pretty nice. And also next to that, every single time I read an article where there's like a bold title of, oh, Evenepoel says he can win the Giro, something like that. I go ahead and I go to the original interview and he says something completely different, but they take it out of context and put it in the title. And it happens with a lot of writers. And that just annoys me so much that I tend to to move towards those writers and support them more. Yeah, It's happening with Froome right now. Froome, Froome's toned down the messaging a lot about going for – he's not – I don't hear him saying fifth TDF too much. Definitely not no. this year. And then the articles will be like Chris Froome talks about road to fifth TDF and go to the TDF this year. And the guy's like been tempering expectations. Yeah. So, another yeah. another example is um, women's cyclist, Buck Monen. She had uh, an interview a few years ago or a year ago where they asked her, what is the one thing in cycling that if you could dream far, far away, what would you ever want to achieve if it was possible? And she said, well, every cyclist would love to be world champion at some point. And they took that and they put in the title, Buck Monen wants to be world champion by this year. And yeah, that, that every single time she's in an interview, someone brings that up because she's not achieving anything near that. And obviously it's, it's bad for the mental capacity of the people that are going under that. And that, that annoys me. And every single time I'm like, okay, I kind of support these people now. And yeah, that's, that's something automatic that happens for me. What's your uh, yeah. slight bias? Uh, 
I'm like that as well where I'm like sometimes I like seeing Buani win because people say, Buani, shit, he never wins. I'm like, the guy's won like 75 pro races. He's like the fourth winningest rider in winningest? the 2010 to 20. <laughs> Yeah, 2010 to 2019 period um, after, like, DeMar, Ewan, not Ewan, Cavendish, Greipel. Obviously not the same caliber, but he wins a lot of races. He's won World Tour races. Um, and so, yeah, I tend to gravitate towards those riders. Riders that I'll always be biased towards and never criticize them, Kemner, Berwick, Haig, Boys of the Podcast are just, you know how it is. I'm just not going to criticize them, probably. So never take what I say about them. <laughs> take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> I'm too friendly with them and they come on the podcast too much. Uh, but other than that, I mean, yeah, I feel like we're pretty even-handed. I don't dislike any riders. I don't really like, and I'll still say, like, Canada at Catalonia, I thought we did in stage one wasn't the smartest thing. I think he should have gone for the stage or GC, did both. But, yeah, I think we're pretty even-handed. I don't really have it out for anyone. I try to call it as I see it. Uh, I think being Australian helps with that. It's like, you know, Port, I don't actually have that much of an affinity for. Yeah, and Next it's, question, Benji. Wait, 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 oh, wait, wait. And it's like sometimes humor is that we very rarely get reactions like, are oh, you biased towards this writer or this writer? People think I'm British. <laughs> they always think I'm British. <laughs> when it comes to like, sometimes we have a, a reaction that we're countering UAE too much, and then the next day we get a reaction that we're countering Roglic too much. So yeah, those two don't actually work together. You know, we can't be biased to one side and also be biased to the other side against each other. I think our benefit is that in this current cycling situation, outside of those two, we're like, yeah, we just like like to see them both ride and. Whatever happens between those two, we like the performance aspect. And I think that's a huge benefit of us now that we don't really have a bias towards either of those sides. We are very harsh on Jumbo Visma <laughs> a I lot think, of the time. Yeah, but that's the, that's the problem. The reason that we are harsh to Jumbo Visma is because they get into situations we, where they can yeah. be criticized because they're at the top of the league. And for example, yeah. why are we not hitting as hard on Wanty? Because... We don't expect so much from Monty. It's like watching yeah. Game of Thrones. In the first four years, you're feeling entitled to great quality because you're getting great quality every single time. And you go towards the last season of Game of Thrones and the quality is there visually and so forth, but the writing is not really there. And you, you, you're criticizing that extra because you're expecting more from the team. And that is why I think that it automatically leans towards that. Yeah, I agree. It's like... We think Wout van Aert can win any single one-day race he turns up at. So that's why, you know, whereas Movistar at the Cobble Classics, you probably didn't even mention their name, or Astana. Like Astana were horrific. They have the worst Cobble Classics uh, World Tour team, but we just don't mention them. Um, so I guess that's why it happens. Benji, uh, in what order would you rank the monuments what? from B. Theo? 59 well that's a, a very interesting question i think i'm going to step on a lot of those doing this because i feel like my order is very different than other people i believe that the most important monument despite us not having seen it in two years now is paris roubaix i feel like I it's monumental in in its format it's 
just the thing that happens once a year on paper, but not recently. And it finishes in such a heroic place in the velodrome in such a way that other races do not finish in. And that that, that makes it so, so special. And every single time Paris Roubaix is on the menu, I, I shout to everybody, come on, we're at the Forest of Olaz. We come in, come in, come watching cycling people. And um, next to that, I think I'm gravitating towards RVV as the second one. And it's not necessarily because I'm Flemish. I think that it's a really good race. And I think that it's had many iterations with the mirror being in the final earlier on. Then we also had this iteration with Pater Berghain out of Quartermont being so very important in this race. I think that I like both iterations and I feel like it hasn't really disappointed in recent years except for the Betiol one personally. Because not because Betiol won, but because the way the race was written and that for example, Vanderpool fell. That was the thing that made the race because from that point onwards, you had a chasing game between Vanderpool and, and the front group. And that was amazing to see. But seeing the elite group go on to the outer quadrant and one rider just blast away and in five seconds, you know, he's going to win. Then it's not really that that much tension in the race. So I think that's the only uh, addition recently that I'm like, meh, not really what I expected. But when it comes to the others, I think that we still got Milano San Remo, Ilombardia, and LBL left. And I think I dare to say, hmm, I'm, I'm probably going to overthrow the order that I put on Twitter a, a month and a half ago. Because I think I'm going to put San Remo in third. And the reason I'm putting San Remo in third and not Ilombardia is because I believe that. Lombardia is at the end of the season and towards the end of the season, the last month, I tend to be like, oh, I love cycling, but I'm getting at a point where I've seen a lot of cycling this year and I need a bit of a pause. And usually that's around where Lombardia is because, well, that's almost the last race of the season to Guangxi after it, basically. And um, I think that that's the reason that I put it under Milano San Remo. And San Remo has a special ability of getting up the tension towards Apoggio and then on the Poggio, it's until the line is just pure pure stress. And I think that LBL is currently on the last position, but could, could move up in the next years, in the sense that I really hated the Côte d'Or finish that we had in, in previous years. The current finish is much more fun, but I don't feel like the parkour is something I'm I'm too attached to. It's not like if the Rochefoucauld gets replaced by a random climb in the next year, I'm not going to be like, oh no, the Rochefoucauld is gone. Well, if they replace the Pudge, I'll be like, what the hell are you doing? And if you, for example, <laughs> go towards Lombardia and you you take away the Chiviglio, did they do that in recent years or not? I don't know. I think that, that uh, they changed something in the Lombardia parkour, so I might be <laughs> I might be doing something wrong here. But like the Sermano and so forth, that's that stuff that was in Lombardia quite a few years already, and that that I think is what gravitates me into putting LBL at the bottom at the moment. What's your order? Yeah, very similar. Roubaix, MSR, Flanders, uh, Lombardia. No, Liège above Lombardia, uh, Lombardia at the bottom. So I got MSR second because it's probably the race that's the hardest to win, the most type of riders can win it. Uh, you look at Liège the last two years, you look at Flanders. I know Betiol, that is an outsider as a, against that uh, at Flanders, but... MSR is so hard to win. It's enthralling for the last 25 kilometres. 
I don't care that it's so long and boring for the first 275 because I just don't watch and then I tune in to the last bit. The better question, Benji, is do you think Strata Bianca is more exciting? Skipping the monument discussion, is, are you more excited to watch Strade than how many of those monuments? Because for me, it's more excited than all of them except for Roubaix. I believe that Strade Bianca should be a monument. I'm going to set that question up like that because the reason <laughs> is everybody talks about monuments being so historically valuable, but neither of them look like what they were in the past. Roubaix didn't look <laughs> at all what it was right now. Like Lombardia, LBL, LBL had very different parkours in the past. Yeah. Milano San Remo had very different parkours in the past. It changed so much. And let's be honest, if we gravitate this towards a women's cycling aspect, then it will take eight years before we are allowed to call a race a monument if we go by the same values. Yeah. And just skip the age part and look towards the, the fact that it's a moment in the year that everybody in the cycling world is looking forward to a, a lot and that the start list is absolutely godlike and something like that should be called a monument because it feels like a monument to me and if people don't like that well that's kind of their problem <laughs> from a business perspective we expect more views and interest for strade yeah. than msr lombardia liege and possibly flanders depending on what happens in the race more this year more interested in strade than flanders because strade you had not just MVDP, you had Waffenart, Pitcock, Pagaccio, Bernal all up there, uh, whereas Flanders had Askren winning. All right, next question, Benji, what do you got on the list? Let me take a list here for a second. The next question on the list is, what is your fondest cycling-related memory? Oof. Let's say a cycling race memory. That's more tuned into a, a proper yeah. answer. Go ahead. Uh, Leonard Kamner winning the Tour de France stage after the really? rest day interview, and then I put I put so much money on him for the mountain stage. <laughs> I, made, I made like two and a half, three grand, um, oh, <laughs> and also the my Instagram was blowing up and had the montage ready. That was one of the most fun wins, just because it was it was you know poetic. Uh, other than that, I guess even a pole. I was hyping him up so much into 2019. That's not that long ago. And so many people were being like, he's never done in a pro race. He's not going to do well in a pro race. He'll be this dominant. Uh, okay, he's good at TTing, but he can't climb. And I was like, but if you do the maths, yeah. if he's this good on the flat and he weighs 64 kilos, you realize that means he goes quick uphill. Um and people were like, nah, you're wrong. And then Algarve and Burgos, it was clear like he's legit uphill as well. So that was validating for me. Uh, but I don't really get hype about like race results, typically Benji, um, unless I have a financial interest. I just kind of <laughs> feel impartial towards it, which is maybe a bit sad, actually. How about yeah, you? it is. <laughs> I think, uh, <laughs> in all honesty, uh, I agree with the Evanpool thing in the sense that I, I did have him for San Sebastian the day before he won San Sebastian. Everyone was not was like, "Yeah, no way he's gonna win San Sebastian. There's no way in hell he hasn't proven anything." And yeah, he won, so I was pretty happy about that. But all in all, I think the best moment for me, or the most 
heroic moment for me is uh, back in 2014 in the Tour de France, there was a stage where Vincenzo Nibali destroyed everybody on the cobble sections with Fulsang as his lieutenant, Lars Bohm winning the stage. Best stage ever. I was a Vincenzo Nibali fan at that point by a lot. And I was invested in this, not financially, but emotionally. And emotionally invested in this is absolutely beautiful. And every single one of my best moments in cycling are related with Vincenzo Nibali. So it's kind of crazy that I think my favoritism for him is that extreme in that sense. Because next to that, I also have the, the memory of on, I think, 2016 Giro on the time trial, the mountain time trial that Kreisberg destroyed him and Nibali had... A mechanical problem then had a yeah then had to get off his bike in the middle of the climb then got a different bike and lost so much time on the time trial he was like four or five minutes behind in gc at that point and it all turned around and the day of the time trial i posted on twitter to Nibli, don't worry whatever happens i'll always support you <laughs> in the most cringe <laughs> <Jesus>. way <laughs> he Jesus. liked the tweet and he won the fucking giro <laughs> yeah Right? Maybe he needs you in his corner. Why hasn't he called you to give him? <laughs> yeah, help I'm, wait, this I'm still year? waiting. He's, just got He's doing the Giro. His yeah. his right arm's fucked, but it's broken. <laughs> but <laughs> still doing the Giro. All right. Um, I think I only remember really sad experiences. I only remember pain. I'm incapable of really remembering <laughs> happy memories. So. I think my heart was broken. Thibaut Pino 2019, I don't think I've ever recovered from that. I Really? I really wanted him to win. Like I really, really wanted him to win so badly. An MPCC rider, a French rider, a rider I really believe in that does like all the right things um, and like breaking apart the Ineos Sky domination of the previous decade. I really wanted him to win, and that broke my heart pretty much. And uh, I'm tearing up thinking about it because he's <laughs> he's never, yeah, it it stuffed him as well. He won Lombardia, uh, but against Vincenzo Nibali, so that's just, tearing me up. <laughs> yeah, and now and now he's like pulling out of the Giro. It's it's not been good. Uh, but anyway, next question, Katie A. What do you think about women's cycling? What issues would one need to take it on, take on first to make it grow? You got any ideas, Benji? Well, firstly, what do I think about women's cycling? Just in general, I think that I think I've got a rare view on it. I'm not sure it's a rare view, but the rare view on it that it's I see it as a different sport because seeing it as the same sport is weird when it comes to having different teams, but also different aspects and tactics in the race and so forth. I think that's why I kind of gravitate towards that. And additionally to that, how do I think it can be improved? I think that coverage is the key word that everybody should be shouting off of their roof at the moment. And the aspect to that is that I think there's a lot of stuff that can be done to improve coverage. And I think even us covering the cycling races is, is helping for that. And if a lot of people cover women's cycling, then interest is going to be improved on women's cycling and people will learn more about women's cycling, which in its place will also improve the interest in women's cycling. It's just that we need to take on the coverage and the learning curve because right now, people that watch women's cycling for the first time, they realize it's not like men's cycling in the sense that you need to learn every single rider again and you need to 
learn the tactics because I feel like women's cycling is often more tactical than men's cycling. And there's just so much to it. I absolutely love it. Sometimes I look forward to those races more than the men's races. For example, the Ardennes, I feel like every single women's race in the Ardennes was better than the men's equivalent. That's my personal opinion. And um, quite genuinely, I, I think that the key words are coverage and learning curve. And if we can take that on by providing better coverage and also more coverage, then it's going to be on TV more, then it's going to be taking on the learning curve problem, and then it's going to increase interest, and then it's going to improve sponsor interest, and then it's going to improve the financial situations. And it all starts with coverage for me. You? Yeah, coverage is massive. And I think making it as similar as possible to the men's races is good. And so, for example, the Olympics parkour, they skip Fuji. Big error. They shouldn't be doing that. Uh, Roubaix, they should try and have as similar a finish as possible. I'm not sure that is the case. They do that in the Flanders Classics. The last 40Ks are the same, which is really helpful for people like us because you can compare the two finales between the races. You don't need to learn two different parkour. Every The races have the same name. That's what you need to do. And I think that's already sort of happening. Uh, but other than that, coverage, and we've got the Tour de France hopefully next year, seven or eight stages maybe, that'll be huge for women's cycling as well. That's the most important IP in the sport, Tour de France label. It's where a lot of the sponsor revenue comes for all the teams. It's related to the Tour de France World Tour. All the World Tour teams live off that. So now women's cycling will have that cash injection, whether it's not next year, maybe the year after. Uh, but next question, Benji. Talia K, bonus seconds, yes or no, and in what format? Hmm. I think bonus seconds are good, but not always in the in the right format at the moment. I enjoy them as being an extra that can be achievable by riders that have a punch. Someone like Roglic should be able to gain seconds with their strengths, and his strength is that he can have a final kick in a group. Now, 10 seconds I find a lot. I think that 3 to one would be really fun because that would give a small benefit and it would be fun. The question is, then you have to look at, is it worth it for the group to go for that? And that's where you need to find the balance between those two. So three to one might be a little too less. We, I don't know. I need to do the calculations for that. We need to look into the kind of stages when it comes to those bonus gates like they have in the Tour de France. I think that they're nice, but I think that they might not always be in the right position right now. And I think that if you tweak that a little bit and put that in positions that would actually stimulate attacks on on climbs like the stage where I think Thomas de Gent wanted to the front stage if two years ago, I'm not sure, uh, where he attacked in the breakaway and he had that solo at the end where Alaphilippe and Pinot attacked on that hill, the last hill, and then it descent to the finish. And on that hill, there was bonus seconds if there wasn't bonus seconds, I don't think Alaphilippe and Pinot would have done anything on that hill. So, yeah, that kind of stuff. Stuff that stimulates. And, for example, in the Pôle stage last year, where they had that hill where we saw them sprint for, where I think Pogacar almost rode into Roglic or the other way around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was also a perfect position because it stimulates people to attack there because that's the last hill of the day. And then it's a, pretty much a flat section after the hill to the finish line. And uh, the story was stolen. And I think those situations are where it's really good. Then 
then it's really, really improving the, the nature of the race. And I think they can be good, but they need to be used well. And right now, bonus gates are only used in a few number of races. And I think that people should just play with it a little bit, uh, organizers, and see where it fits in their thing. Then, for example, the Bing Bang Tour has this thing where they've got the golden kilometer, a full kilometer with three sprints that gain bonus seconds. And that aspect is also pretty cool because it's original. But if you put that in every race, it's going to get hella boring and a bit weird. But I think it's really fun in, in that one race. And I think that if races play with this a little and tweak it towards their understanding of what their race should hor- with, should 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 be, I guess, then I think it works out fine. So yeah, I think bonus sh- seconds should exist. And I think they shouldn't always be the same on every race, but they should be original in every race somehow. Bink bank golden kilometer. Every should be in every stage of the Tour de France. Um say with five K to go. <laughs> well would you be more inclined to watch the Champs Elysees stage if there was a golden kilometer every lap compared to the one now? Of course you would. Would it be a fast Maybe. I don't care. <laughs> Put it in. Golden <laughs> kilometer. I mean, that's another question. I agree with bonus seconds. You need them. Otherwise, there's no incentive. Say say Roglic is behind Pogacar and you've got the last mountain stage. Um, it, it makes the GC riders more likely to go for the stage win if they're behind and need to make up the 10 seconds. Uh, that's, that's how it works. For the bonus seconds, theoretically. And it's better for interest if the big-name GC riders win. I know we love the break, but realistically, we've seen the data. Like, if a break wins, less interest, generally, unless it's Froome this year at the Tour, uh, where there would be a fair bit of interest. Another question, Benji. You, you've written this one down. It's, so I- you say it's from everyone. Why the fuck are you wearing sunglasses inside <laughs> your home? Oh, you're not well, right now. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, exactly. I'm not because it's we started recording this at 8 p.m. my time. Normally, we're recording the podcast at about 2 a.m. at the earliest, and it's been worse on some races. About 2 a.m., and i got to edit afterwards. And generally, I struggle to get to sleep afterwards. If I, I have a key light right there, and if I have that, and this in my eyes at 2 a.m. I can't get to sleep till 7, 8 in the morning. So that's rough. So the sun needs help with my eyes just not being so sore. Secondly, a lot of the time, I know we like to make this look flawless. We're looking up things on Pro Cycling Stats or Twitter or wherever a lot of the time. And I'm not looking directly at the camera. I've got my laptop elevated today, but normally I've got my laptop down there. So that's more of a Casey Neistat thing that you stops it weirds out the viewer if your eyes are never looking at the camera but do you have any other questions left benji any others anything even if they weren't submitted that we need to tell people that's a very good question i think that um what do you do what do i do okay what's my job (laughs) so currently i'm a full stack javascript developer in uh human words that means that i code websites and apps in a programming language called javascript and um well that's what i do i do that on a full-time basis right now and um that's basically the story related to that i i code (laughs) 
<laughs> right now, what I do is full-time Lantern Rouge things pretty much and anything associated with that is what I do. And what about where do you record, Benji? Even I don't know this. Where do you record? Are you in just a side room in your house? Is that your bedroom? On top of a huge mountain in a in a in a hut, very realistic. No, no, no. Yeah, on a serious note, this is my uh, my bedroom. This is on in a corner in my bedroom. Ideally, this desk would be the other way around, so you actually have something of a view behind me because now I'm literally in a corner. But the problem is that from the space opposing to, of my desk, there's a lot of sound, and if I turn it around, then it's gonna come into the microphone, and then it's gonna get really annoying. The problem that I have with this room right now is that. The ceiling is fucked. It's super low, which means that if I stand up, the lighting is not ideal. If I sit down, the lighting is ideal. If I stand up, the echo is horrendous because this room is... I'm very minimalistic in like in like furniture and so forth. I'm going to do an, S, uh, an LRCP Crips video at some point. I just need to... <laughs> yeah, I want to see that. <laughs> and kind of give you a view of what it looks like. I'm planning to get this... Uh, this echoing thing for the walls installed that I have sitting right two meters ahead of me on a, on a shelf, but I haven't found the time nor the time to research how to put it on the wall because I'm a very handy person. You, oh, so <laughs> handy. The, the first time I tried, I, I slept and the day after it was all fallen off the wall. So great work. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, that's basically the story of my life at the moment. And, uh, yeah, we live in the middle of this, of this farmland, which, uh, isn't, not ideal because <laughs> because it's Why not does ideal. that make a difference <laughs> <laughs> it does okay <laughs> maybe i mean i live in the middle of the gold coast and the internet's still bad i'll do i'll do a cribs right now show show the room <laughs> on the podcast all right so listening hopefully you can hear me so bike there beach is out there I wonder if the live stream picks that up. Kitchen there, giant there, light, that's the light there, and uh, that's about it. <laughs> so nothing too exciting. I have to boot everyone out when I start recording. You realise, you realise, right, that yeah. on audio platforms they can't see anything. All right, so... <laughs> Yeah, I kind of forgot the medium of this uh, <laughs> podcast. What I did was I just showed showed everybody uh, my apartment on the GC and I'm not editing out. Benji just messaged me saying, edit it out. I'm not editing it out. All right. Last couple of questions, Benji. Uh, you've asked me what my fondest cycling memory was. I think we're almost out. Yeah, I don't have any anymore listed here. We've cut out all the sort of rider and race-related ones. I've got a couple for you, Benji. Which rider do you think is like the most underrated right now and the most underrated but also has been cycling for quite a while who is more than capable of winning a Grand Tour stage in the next 18 months? Whew. That is a good question. Uh, you know, I think Avonapol's underrated. Okay. I also yeah. think I also think Pagach is underrated. I think that 
one rider that is currently not named too often for stage wins, except for by me, is Attila Valtra, and I think he's going to win a stage in the Giro this year. Uh, additionally, do you actually, or do you just want it to happen? No, I think I think it's going to happen. I genuinely believe it's going to happen because last yep. year we had the issue that he couldn't get in the breakaway. This year in yep. some race, Catalonia, probably not sure. Yeah. Uh, he ended up being in the breakaway quite a few times, and he ended up getting second or third on the last stage, the one where Thomas again ends up winning. And honestly, if he can get into the breakaway, I feel like he has the climbing ability to win from a breakaway because we saw in Sestrier last year that he was eighth or ninth on the stage, which is pretty monumental. So I do believe that's possible, and I think that Jan Trotnik is a very underrated rider because oh, he's got... fucking steal my one. <laughs> You can go ahead, okay? I've got a better one. I've got a better one. This is some niche. Santiago Huitrago, Colombian 21-year-old climber. I played pro cycling manager with him. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully okay. he's better in real life than in the game. <laughs> <laughs> he came 13th in GP in Dulstrian Artigiano. Not so bad on Portonay, Volta 2000 stages at Catalonia. Seems to be improving. Six at the Giro Ciclistico de la Valladosta Mont Blanc. Oh, I've in got a good one. I think he's going to win a big World Tour mountain stage from a break in the next 18 months to two years. Mark his name down, okay. Santiago Butrago. Yep. I believe that the final one that I'm going to push forward is one I've already pushed forward a few times in the last year. And that's a fact that I believe that Carlos Rodriguez, the rider on Ineos right now. Yeah, he's close. Um, what is his age? I think that he's actually really, really 19. young. Yeah, he's probably 19 or something like that. I'm looking it up at the moment and I'm filling the time. He's 20 right now. And he was 7 at Industria, for example. He has a really decent time trial. We saw at, was it Provence? Yes, Provence, Volte, where he was pacing so much on Mont to and got 18th in the end. I yep. genuinely believe that he's going to podium a Grand Tour in the next seven years. And uh, I truly I reckon, believe that. I and four years. Four years. Yeah, I, I don't want to make it too close either because I haven't fought it through yet. I don't know when his first Grand Tour is going to be. I think <laughs> likely Vuelta at some point. Probably next yeah. year, 21 is probably a good age. And I'll throw in another name very quickly. The rider that we laughed at the first time we named him. Abner Gonzalez. He's <laughs> no, going to win a you, World Tour race. He, he probably is actually pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> is he doing the Giro? I don't know. I think so. It would be nice. Another one, Juan Ayuso, is actually... Yeah. This is, a, this is like not a hot take. This guy will be good. It's just maybe if you're not following under-23 junior races, you haven't heard, but he's been cleaning all of them up, Juan Ayuso. He's legit. He's on a long-term contract at UAE. So the first time you see him at um, a Grand Tour, take note of him on the start list. I think that's all we've got, Benji. We've run over as normal. I think let us know what you'd like from the podcast, what you'd like to change. We've done, what, over 150 episodes, I think, and yet we're still open to changing things. Obviously, where it is now getting to this stage this quickly, we didn't expect, and it's due to the audience, you, which is crazy. Like, we're never going to be as big as the biggest cricket or football podcast. But the intensity of your fandom frightens me, actually. 
at times, <laughs> not for us, but for cycling. Like the intensity of the fandom for cycling is crazy. It's so good. Like people will message me about some like Abner Gonzalez and they'll be like, he just won this criterion, mate. Trust me, in uh, northern Spain, like he's legit. You got to cover it. You got to look at it. And I'm like, how the fuck do I have time? But uh, it's crazy. So good. That's everyone. Where what we say is often a product, seriously, of stuff like that, uh, where people are feeding us all these things happening. And I remember, okay, someone just told me that I need to look into that. The one I use that thing. Someone messaged me, being like, mate, you got to see what he's been doing in these uh, junior U23 races. So. We owe a lot of our knowledge from you in the comments as well. Um, a lot of you have probably been watching, definitely a lot of you have been watching cycling longer than Benji and I probably have combined because we're 12 and 15 years old respectively. So thanks You're very 12. much from okay. me to all of you. Uh, we really appreciate it and we're going to keep going. Now Now that we've done the hard grind, we've kind of got the uh, the easy ones where the Giro and the Tour where um, we don't really have to fight for attention in the same way as with Tour de Romandie. But yeah, any <laughs> last closing thoughts from you, Benji? Yeah, quite generally also that I really, really appreciate the support on everything. Like we started our Twitter, I think, at the start of this year because we felt like we could open that and have more communication with people that actually follow our podcast because otherwise it would be more into Instagram messages or well, reading reviews that you put on our podcast. And I love doing that, but I can't answer to a review. And I'd love to answer to people that send something. And that's what I try and do a lot. And with Twitter, that really works out. And I really, really appreciate all the support of that. It's quite awesome that for everybody, cycling has become such an addiction. And uh, I absolutely love what we're doing. And I think that we've got so much that we can still do. And I think that we can still improve on so many aspects and that's the good thing i feel like uh, it would be boring if we couldn't and we would be lying if we couldn't and i think that we're doing our best to do so and it's amazing to see that y'all are enjoying it as much as we are making them because let's be real we never thought it would be this size <laughs> the podcast in the sense that we hoped it would well, we hope people would watch it we didn't know how many we didn't know uh, at what rate and how much the interaction would be. And the interaction has been absolutely spectacular. And I love reading through the comments every single evening. It's one of my most enjoyable moments of the day sometimes. <laughs> and I generally love doing so. And also just to thank you to you, Lantern, because I keep calling you Lantern. And a lot of people keep asking what your <laughs> oh, name yeah, people is. Oh, yeah, my real name, Patrick. <laughs> no, Maybe it's I Patrick. Shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the meme it's never gonna go away mate yeah <laughs> and, oh thanks um, benji yeah i just doxed you <laughs> yeah <laughs> now nah, all jokes aside thank you for uh going on this adventure with me with like lrcp and stuff because i think we we both otherwise would have done a podcast at some point in our life separately and perhaps with other people but I feel like we, uh, I at least found the perfect combat compatibility with you, who is the who is the guy that knows a lot about the the moth pieces and who who also is quite generally a guy that is very clever and sometimes you don't realize it. Oh, this is way too friendly for me. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when it comes to tactics, you're very very easily 
knowing what a certain team is going to do. And you're, you're much more clever on the admin side of cycling, like structural issues with cycling and stuff. And I really, really, uh, I admire that. Thank you for yeah. being such well, a good person, I- Lantern. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, Benji. Appreciate it a lot. I think people appreciate our rapport. Benji's obviously much more easygoing, friendly, and a nice person. I'm more of a uh, difficult, angry, and a bit of a laconic drawl. So I think we're a good match. And speaking of the Twitter, Benji mentioned before the Giro preview, and we'll announce it properly in the Giro preview, we're going to have a Velo Games competition for the Giro, for a fantasy league, for the podcast. Listeners will announce it fully on Twitter and through that podcast, but the Twitter of the podcast is where that sort of thing will be announced at Lantern Rouge CP. But the links will be in the show notes of that pod. The winner will get a full Lacole kit from their new release and runners-up will get jerseys sent out to them. So thanks to Lacole for sorting that out for the Giro d'Italia at times nicely with their newest releases, the Stelvio from last year's Giro. All right, that's all from us, and we'll see you with the Giro preview, I think, on Wednesday. Ciao. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. 